Titus chapter 2. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live. Not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will imagine the word of God. Similarly, encourage the younger men to be self-controlled in everything they set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make teaching about a God our Saviour attractive. Greetings. Wow. <laughs> I felt like a power there in some way. Right, just going to put this off of here, that would be great. Right, my name's Paul Brand, and um, I'm just going to share a little bit of types too, but just to kind of give you a brief understanding as to how I got here. <laughs> About two months ago, Tim, which is one of the pastors, he approached me and he says, oh, Paul, I would like you to share the word. And I thought, hey, wow, this is exciting. I thought, okay, that sounds good. And I got really sort of, you know, spiritual. I thought, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to share the word. This is fantastic. Now, Tim didn't tell me what I was going to preach. So I said, well, it doesn't matter. Tim's going to ask me to pray. He's going to ask me to seek God. And God would give me a wonderful scripture, you know, Jesus walking on the water, something really nice and exciting. So I wasn't, I wasn't worried. And then all of a sudden, Tim sent me an email. And um, he says, oh, Paul, you're going to be preaching on Titus. I went, Titus, interesting book. Where's that? <laughs> okay, right. Ah, yes. And I found it. You know, I Googled it. No, I didn't. I got on Google Earth. And I thought, right, okay. And then I saw it. And I said, oh, Titus too. So I started to read it. And then I read it again. And all of a sudden, I thought, hold on a minute. It says... Women, oops, oh, that can't be right. Be submissive, oops, that definitely can't be right. And when I went all the way down to Titus 2, I thought, oh, this, is, this is just scandalous. It's all, you know, all to do about, you know, some women do this and men do this. And I thought, I can't preach this. I'll be stoned before I get out the door. <laughs> this is not going to work. So I emailed Tim, Tim, you made a mistake. I did. I said, Tim, you made a mistake. Let's just look at this again. Are you absolutely sure that this is what you want me to preach? And he texts me back, yes, Paul, I want you. That is the scripture. And I went, but I can't because it's got all this stuff in it. You know, and I'm going to get hit and stones and everything. And he says, Paul, read it again. So I thought, what am I missing here? So I began to read it, and then I read it again, then I read it again, and then I had a light moment. See what God's trying to say. And then I got the revelation of what Titus was all about, especially chapter 2. So I'm going to begin to share that with you. Um, just check the PowerPoint's working. Ah, there it is. Right, and um, so I'm going to take you on a journey. So let's start. So I'm going to ask you a question. How can people tell that you're a Christian? 
just give it some thought for a moment. How can people tell that you're a Christian? Is it because of your dress sense? Is it because of your good deeds? Is it because of your character, your personality? Will the real Christians stand up? Now, in my day, when I was young, I'm not admitting how young, but when I was young, I come from a family of nine. So it was very traditional, my parents were Christians, that we all go to church three times on a Sunday and twice in the week. And we would have to dress up to go to church. So we could not wear jeans and T-shirts or anything like that. We had to dress our best. So I had to wear a suit. Yes, I've still got it on, but I'm wearing a suit at the moment. So we all had to dress up to go to church. It was great. But the only problem is, when I went to, when I was walking down the street, some of my friends from school would see me and go, Paul, you all right? And I would like, oh no, they see where I'm going. So I would try to hide and deny the Lord, and they would say, Paul, where are you going? When I got to school, Paul, I saw you. You, you was going down the road. Would you go to church? No, 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 no. I just come from a friend's house. We had a party and birthday and things like that, you know. But you was all dressed up. Yes, I know. I probably came from the club the night before. And I'd made all kinds of excuses because that's how it was. So I said, okay, all right. So as, as time went on, I just want to show you some pictures up here. We tend to look at celebrities and and they can be identified for their character, for their personality, for who they are. And we can identify some of, the, some of the wonderful faces up there, and we can say, oh, I know that person because of, because of their character, or because of their deeds, or because of the things that they've done in society or the community. So they can be identifiable. But what about us as Christians? How can we be identifiable in Christ? What are the telltale signs? Well, in the book of John 13, 34, it says this. We are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. So just give that some thought for a moment. We are to be the light of the world. A city that cannot be hidden. We are to be visible to the world. Not hidden. Not hidden away somewhere. But we are to shine. We're not to be shunned. We are to shine in a dark world. So turn to your neighbor and just say, you're the light. It's okay. It's not going to hurt. It's all right. Okay? Now, I want you to do it again with a bit of boldness. And tell them, you are the light. Go on. It's okay. All right. Now, the reason for this is because God says that he has chosen us to be that light in the world today. Now, there's a wonderful scripture in Matthew 5, 16. says, let your light shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So the sole purpose that God has shone his light on us, whoops, the sole purpose of that is so that we can be a light to the world that is looking at us. Now, you might not be aware of it, but people are watching us every day. And Jesus says, I have given you my light. I want you to be that light so that you can go into the world and people can see your good works and then glorify the Father which is in heaven. 
so people can see the light of God in the earth, so people can see God's good works in action, and so that people can also give God praise for the love of God towards them. You can be that light. Each one of you today can be the light of God in your school, in your colleges, in your university, in your workplace, in your community, in your family, wherever you are, you can be the light that God wants to shine in the world. That's how precious you are. That's how important you are. So if anybody tells you differently, you can say, you know what, I'm a light. I can shine. I have the ability to shine. It's a wonderful concept that God has given us, and it's a wonderful privilege that God has given us that we can be that light. Now, the problem is, we've just read in the book of Titus 2 that this letter was written by Paul to Titus for the church of Corinth. And one of the reasons that he wrote this letter was to remind young pastors to preach sound doctrine, to preach things that were sound in faith, not things that were distorted. And it was also to help give advice to the church to deal with problematic situations. And Paul wanted to develop leaders just like you and me. People that would take the gospel all to the world. But more importantly, he wanted a church that would be an example of the light of God. But Paul had some serious concerns, basically, with the church of Crete at the time. Now, just to give you some background of the church which is going to be a bit iffy. The church of Crete had a couple of problems. In fact, they had some major problems. And one of the biggest problems that they had was drunkenness. They were, they were a people that basically got drunk almost every time of the day. Any time of the day, they would be found to be drunk. They were compulsive in their lying and their speech. Can't believe it's a church, actually. But it was. And um, they had various forms of violence towards each other. They had no self-control in what they did. They were valguing their language, which was really, really, really bad. And this is one of the letters that Paul was writing to the church to say, listen, I've got to bring order here. I've got to bring structure. I've got to bring something that would give boundaries to this church so that the world can see, hey, Christ is in that church. So one of the things that we're going to be looking at, we're going to, which is going to be the next slide, is we're going to look at how that's possible. So I'm going to ask you a question. Who's following you in your life? Who at this moment, think about it, are you leading people to Christ or are you leading people away from Christ? Is people watching you and gravitating to Christ in your life or closer to the Lord? Are they kind of just being pulled away? How is your light shining in the community, in your home, in your workplace? in the places that you go? Are people getting closer to Christ? Or are they being slightly just moved away? Just a simple question. What could be a follower of Christ look like in your community? What could a follower of Christ like be in your home, in your church, in your workplace, in your university? What could it look like? Well, the letter of Titus kind of just gives an example of a pattern of living. Now, the next couple of slides is going to be very descriptive of how the light of God 
can shine in the community and how we can be that light. Now, if any words or anything that's going to be presented comes out to you or stands out and means something to you, just take it in your spirit, take it in your heart and say, that's me. There's a part of that scripture that I think that resonates with me. And if it doesn't, then that's okay. But we're just going to go through what Titus shared with the church on how Christians can be the light, how he wanted people to be. And it's going to concern mature men, mature women, younger men, younger women, and of course families. And it's just going to go through a few things. So we're going to touch on a few things. Mature men. Titus was saying, mature men, now you decide whether you are a mature man or not. That's a good quickly point. Okay? If you fit into this category, then this is you. He says, mature men, be sober, not drunk. It didn't say you couldn't drink, but it says don't be drunk. Be sensible. Mature men, be sensible, not foolish. And he goes on to saying, having self-control. And that is such a big one in our society today where sometimes people just do not have self-control over anything. It could be eating, it could be drinking, it could be talking. Anything that's in excess. Because Titus never really had, the church at the time, never really had control over their own behavior. But here it's say, mature men, if that's you, one of the characteristics of letting your light shine is having self-control. Sound in faith, not wavering, but being confident that this is what I believe. This is what I'm, I'm living for. This is the doctrine of Christ. Sound in love, which is a big one. One of the characteristics of Christ was their sound in love and sound in endurance and also patience. And one of the key factors of having patience is not flying off the handle, but waiting and being patient, whether you're waiting for something to mature, whether you're waiting for someone to develop, whether you're waiting for things to come to pass. Be patient. That was just one of the key factors that was given. And then he went on to mature women. Again, I'm not pointing any fingers. But it also says, not slanderous. He didn't want mature, he didn't want mature women to be slanderous. Destroying someone else's reputation, being slanderous in their speech. That was one of the characteristics. And then it goes on to say, not gossipers. Oops. And that sometimes can be a bit tricky. Because here it's saying, don't gossip. So that means if someone knocks the door and Mrs. Green opens it, hello, hello Mary, how are you? Oh, I'm fine, come in, sit down. Oh, <laughs> I'll have a cup of tea. Oh, how are you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling fine. Well, you know, there was a bit of a problem with, you know, Lucy. Lucy, what happened? What do you mean? Oh, no, no, I'm not saying anything. It's not for me to say. Oh, okay. No, but seriously, seriously, it's okay. Can you, you know, I won't tell anybody. Well, I'm not really supposed to say anything. I'm not a gossiper. I don't gossip about people. However... but it's got to stay between me and you in the kitchen sink. Okay, well, last week I heard that she did this. Yes, I can't believe it. Oh, I would never do such a thing, never. <laughs> and 10 minutes later, they leave, and then the phone rings, bling, bling. Oh, hello, Mrs. Mrs. Brown, yes. Oh, I'm all right. Well, I had a bit of some bad news, you know, but I'm not really supposed to say before you know it. 
No, no, I'm not telling them. Oh, all right, okay, listen, look. What it was, right? So and so came down. And then she told me, oh, shh, don't tell anybody. Before you know it, the whole street knows. Okay? Don't gossip as much as you would like to hear it. Don't be a gossiper. And then it says, don't be addicted to much wine. This is mature women. Again, there was a problem with drink. Again, it wasn't saying you shouldn't drink. It just says, don't be addicted to it. And then it says, teachers of what is good. And mature women were expected to teach what was good, what was sound in doctrine, sound in behavior. And then it goes on to say, encouraging younger women, mature women, part of their character of Christ was to encourage younger women. So if you see a younger person doing something great, tell them. Say, you know, that was really good. That was really good what you did. You're going you're to mature into somebody that's going to be a good woman. Wonderful, have a big, have a family, etc. Encourage the younger women. That was part of, of their role. And then it went on to say, right, younger, younger women, loving husbands. And this, it, let me just give you a background just in case, you know, some of you don't know. Some of the younger women at the time married into or married into a relationship that they didn't necessarily have a choice in. There were a lot of arranged marriages in those days. And one of the key factors was is that sometimes they would marry for, for riches or for wealth or because it was customary. And to some degree, they found themselves in a relationship that of not of their choosing or making. So one, of the, so one of the encouragements was love your husbands because in those days, they, they at times would be associating themselves with other people. So here it was saying, love your husbands. And it was the same situation with the children, where some of the women were so wealthy, they didn't look after their children. They had a lot of servants, and they weren't home very often. So here it was encouraging them, no, love your children. Not someone else, said, love your children. And this was one of the patterns at the time, and be also a keeper of the home. But in our society today, we have, we have situations where sometimes both parents work, and it's not always possible for people to be home. But here, they never had that luxury. So it was saying, no, part of your role is to be a keeper of the home and also be good and be kind to one another and each other. And let the light of God just shine wherever you are. And then it also went on to be self-controlled and pure. Because at the time, again, the society of such, the, the boundaries were so, were so loose that they never had any self-control in their patterns of behavior. Having godly and sacrificial relationships, again, was a big, big, massive factor. So he was saying, listen, have sacrificial relationships. Think on these things and allow the love of God just to shine wherever you are. And then it went on to younger men. Be sensible and self-controlled. And in our society today, we can see elements where people are just, have no self-control. In other words, if it feels good, just do it. It's okay. Society's doing it. And there's no self-control in what they do or in also what they say. An example of good deeds. He wanted young men to have an example of just being good and doing good things to people. Pure in doctrine. Dignified, sound in speech. And that's another big, big, big issue where people today 
They almost don't know how to speak in a way that does not associate with vulgarity. So it was saying, watch what you say. What's your language? Because one of the ingredients of the church at the time was that their language was, was of such, it was appalling, and they were known to be very vulgar. But here it was saying, young men, watch your speech. Watch your language. Don't consider things like swearing as the norm just because society is doing it. And then it goes on to say, so that there's nothing bad that people can say about us. Now, the interesting thing is that we all get criticized from time to time, but the issue is, is that criticism true? Can somebody say, it is true what you said, or it is true what you did? Let us be a people that if we're criticized, nothing true, nothing can be found in us, or nothing sticks. And this was just some of the examples that was given at the time that the, ch that the church needed to hear. And then it goes on to say, This next one mentions slaves and working for someone. Now, in those days, the definition of slaves was slightly different than it is as to we know it. So I'll put this down to people that are working for someone in your job. And you might be working for an organization, you might be working for someone. Well, here it tells us that if you're working for someone, be obedient to them. Don't be disobedient. If someone says, listen, look, you know, I need you to do this job, that's what you're employed to do, then just accept it. Then just do it and say, okay, I come under your authority. I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. Not be argumentative, because in those days, the people at the time were very argumentative with their bosses. So if the boss would say one thing, they would say, I don't want to do that. Well, here would say, no, don't do that. Don't argue with your boss. You may have a discussion, but don't argue with your boss. But just say, listen, look, okay, I, don't, I disagree on a certain matter, but you're the boss, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. Don't be argumentative. And then this next one where it says, don't steal. You're thinking, well, that sounds simple. Well, in those days, because of the wealth that they had, it was very easy just to put things in their pockets or to walk away with things. And it's telling us here to be mindful. Just because you may work for someone where there is surplus of, all, of, of materials, maybe, or of time, don't steal. Don't go, oh, what's, there's four pens there. He's not going to miss one. And quickly put it in your pocket. Or, no, I'll photocopy this because... You know, it's, you know, Hold up a paper here. He's saying, be mindful. Don't steal. Don't steal time, neither. Fully trustworthy was another characteristic. Are we trustworthy as Christians? Can someone say to us, I can trust you with my business. I can trust you with my home. I can trust you with my children. I can trust you with the goods that, that, that you're working with. So if I say, do this, I can know. I can come back and know that it's done. Or do I come back and go, oh, I trusted you to get that done, or I trusted you not to mess around. I trusted you with the goods that are in your possession. Be trustworthy. Speak words that are fitting to that person. Speak words that are well. So as we can see just through this alone, there is wonderful patterns of how to live, of how God wanted your light to shine wherever you are. Now, I know that um, we are all at different levels. And in Galatians 5, 22 says this, God has given us what is called the fruits of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, temperance, and faith. And these fruits of the Spirit, 
are the characteristics of God. And we all can, can manifest these wonderful fruits, but they're in seed form. And you might be thinking, well, it's all right you saying that, Mr. Brown, but you don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. You don't know the circumstances of my home. You don't know what situation I'm in. You're right, I don't, but God does. And God would have you and me that if we find ourselves in a situation where we just need a little bit of more love or where the peace needs to be executed, then we need to just take a step back and say, Lord, how do I allow my light to shine in this situation? I've got a difficult situation at home. I've got a difficult situation at work. I've got a difficult situation in the community or with this particular person. How do I take that one seed of love or joy or peace or gentleness or meekness or goodness, how do I take it and just allow that to grow? Just one step at a time. Just take a step back and say, Lord, I'm going to walk in love here. That just simply means just doing one thing. I'm going to walk in peace. That just simply means being quiet or being reverent in a situation that normally you would fly off the handle or normally you would verbally begin to say, oh, I'm not having this. But God would have us to allow our light to shine in this community, in our work, in our home, so that the world can see Jesus through you and through me. I'm going to tell you a story just before I close. About six months ago, um, I was upstairs and my wife was downstairs and somebody knocked on our door. And my wife went to answer it. And there was this woman. She says, excuse me, could you tell your husband to move my car? Because he's parked it just by my drive and I can't get out. And she tore into my wife, really had a go at her. And my wife was a bit shaken. Oh, my goodness me. Yes, you tend to move his car right now because I can't move my car out. And, da, 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 da. and I'm across the road. And I heard it. And I came down the stairs. What's up, love? Well, she just, she just tore into me. And I went, she did what? She tore into me. She did what? She tore into me. And I got, I got all upset. I said, well, I'm not having this. <laughs> you what? She said what? She told me. Well, leave it to me, love. I got this sorted. Give me my coat. Put my coat on. <laughs> Put my coat on. I said, right, no, I got it. I'll deal with this. I'll sort this out right now. <laughs> I can't believe she's telling me I can't park my car on the street. I paid my money, paid my taxes. <laughs> And I marched over that road. I went straight out there, right, left my wife at the door, left Jesus right at the door. <laughs> I said, God, seriously, because we leave Jesus. And I said, Jesus, don't worry about this. I got this. <laughs> I sought this out myself. Walked across that street. <laughs> Ready for a fight, I was. Put my finger on that door. <laughs> I didn't take it off. Because <laughs> I was upset. I thought, well, I'm having this, I'm, having, I'm not having this, mate. You're telling me, I pay 150 pounds a year. On the... <laughs> and then she opened the door, and she was ready for a fight. I was ready for a fight, round one. <laughs> and I thought, I'll have you. <laughs> and suddenly I had a thought. What are you doing? And I thought, <clears throat> how is this woman going to view you after you've had an argument with her. And I thought, well, what's that got to do with anything? And it was, I felt the Lord speaking to me. And, I, and the Lord said, you're a Christian. And? So if you're a Christian and you present yourself in that way, how is she going to see you? How is she going to perceive you? 
and then you're taking your guitar, going to church the next day, singing hallelujah. And I thought, oh yeah, that's true. So I backed off a bit. And I thought, hmm, I better calm down here. And then a scripture came to me. Kind words turn away wrath. Oh. And I went, oh, yeah, it does. So I was, I was disappointed because I didn't really want to walk in that way anyway. <laughs> you know, so I thought, oh, it does, doesn't it? And she came out, she was ready. And she was like, she said everything she wanted to say, all that. And then her husband was over here. And he was like, <laughs> you know, sorry, there was no unity there. And I thought, okay, and she, she went on, she went on. And by that time, it gave me a chance to calm down and listen to what the Lord was trying to tell me. And I went, oh, okay, and then... And eventually I went, I hear what you're saying. I understand. Can we come to some agreement? I won't park on your side of the road if there's, if there's space. I went, how does that sound to you? And she was like, well, 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 uh, well, well, that sounds all right. Sounds all right. Okay, okay. And it just brought the whole situation calm. And then the husband came. All right, sir, you're right. <laughs> anyway, you know, and I thought, I learned something then. I learned something about myself representing Christ. I did. And I thought, okay, I get it. I get what you're trying to say, Lord. And funny enough, um, when I preached this two weeks ago, someone in our community group came up to me and said, listen, Paul, you're not going to believe this. I said, what happened? He says, I was at work, and normally there's a person at work I don't get on with. And we have what you call PDR, performances, and I have to tell them, this is what I've done. And they judge you and say, yes, this is that, and this is that, you need this. And he says, Paul, I didn't argue with that person. I wanted to, because every single time you have this meeting, every three months, there's always contention. But I decided not to argue. I decided not to have a contention with her. And I decided just to sit down and grit. I said, that's okay, that's fine. This is what I've done. This is what I haven't done. Are you okay with that? That's what he said. And he said to me, he says, Paul, you know what happened? I said, what happened? He says, she looked at me and she ticked all the boxes and she says, you've passed your PDR, we're going to give you a pay rise. <laughs> now I'm not saying, that, now please don't, don't, you know, just, I'm just saying this, he just, he just told me what happened, that was it. Okay, but what it meant was, for him, what it meant was, he acted in a way that he didn't act before. He acted with the peace of God. He acted with one of the fruits of the Spirit. And we can do that today. You could decide to be that light wherever you are, in your community, in your workplace, in your home. God knows where you're at, okay? And he will take you on a journey where that seed of the fruit of the Spirit will grow until it becomes a fruit. And then that fruit could become big, and bigger and bigger until the whole tree is beautiful. And you yourselves will know that you are the light of God in this community.